This is the EWN Podcast Network. Welcome to Prime Spark, the podcast that brings you conversations that inspire, celebrate, and empower women over 55. The second women's revolution is here, and it is time for us to fuel a spark that will ignite your way forward, illuminate your path, and reflect your gifts in the world. Now, here is your host for Prime Spark, Sarah Hart. Hi, and welcome to Prime Spark. I'm Sarah Hart, and I'm so happy you're here with us. Prime Spark is designed for women over 55 or close with a goal to help us live our happiest, most fulfilling and productive lives now and in the future. The mission of Prime Spark is to change the way our society sees and treats older women. That's a big mission. So what that means is we need to get going now and we all need to be involved. Today, I have the great pleasure of talking with Walter Sutton, a man whom and whose work I greatly admire. Now, Walt and I both know he is not a woman over 55, but he has worked with many, many senior women, and I greatly value his perspective. So let me tell you about Walt. He's quite a man. After studying international finance at the University of Washington, Walt only lasted three years in the corporate world. In those days, large corporations were like anthills. And as he says, I just couldn't stand it. And so began a 23-year run during which Walt started, owned, grew, and sold four different successful companies. He employed over 2,000 people, lived well, achieved financial goals he never thought possible, and was careful not to miss any of the CEO perks. Then one day he'd had enough. He and his wife, Deborah, moved to Sedona, Arizona to try to figure out what was missing, what was next. He started the search by taking a couple of years off, writing a book, Leap of Strength, and then traveled around the world, working with and learning from thousands of extraordinarily successful and sometimes happy CEOs. What began as a journey of discovery turned inward, and in time, the ex-CEO who ventured out returned as a teacher and coach. It has been an amazing odyssey, Walt says. From 1994 to 2020, he coached over 200 CEOs and managing directors, facilitated more than 1,300 programs, interviewed more than 15,000 CEOs and many thousands more key executives in North America, Europe, Australia, Asia, and Central and South America. Walt devoted this career to helping successful men and women to build better businesses and richer lives. The one thing he discovered, 
Business is a subset of life, not the other way around. In 2020, Walt made yet another transition. At age 75, he retired from his speaking and coaching practice to write fiction and enjoy time with Deborah on a small farm on Whidbey Island, Washington. He completed his first novel called Finders Keepers and is halfway through a sequel, Losers Weepers, and is in the process of finding an agent. Welcome, Walt. I'm so happy you're here. Thank you, Sarah. Happy to be here with you. So, Walt, I always start with the same question, and uh, mostly I've interviewed women, but I would like to uh, ask you also, do you experience getting older? And if so, what is that experience? And if not, why do you think it is you don't? Well... I'm delighted to experience getting older because the alternative uh, is not to experience anything at all. So let me start there. Um, I I see growing older uh, from two different vantage points. One of them is the physical standpoint of what you can and can't do versus perhaps what you used to be able to do. So surprise, surprise. I can't run as fast as I used to run. There's just no question about it. And there's no point in fighting it. So then the question is, from the feeling standpoint, I get up most mornings and before my feet hit the floor, I don't know, I think I'm 40, 45. Uh, It may be a little harder to wake up than it used to be, but my energy, my happiness at seeing the world, my dog, little dog jumping up and down, waking me up. Um, I don't feel like I'm 77. And as some of my friends often describe it, I'll be walking by a large window and see my reflection. I wonder, well, who the hell is that guy? So it's certainly happening. And in a way, I'm glad it is happening because there's lots of good things that happen with being older. And the other way, I seem to be living in the in the seventies or in the eighties in terms of my uh, my energy and my uh, optimism too for life. So that's how I'm experiencing it. I'd say uh, one other thing: I've been very fortunate um, that I've been modestly fit throughout my life, and I haven't had health challenges. And I think those are two important things to add. Yeah. I think I think so, too. And all of us who are in that position need to be very, very, very grateful. So it's interesting because um, a couple of years ago, I had um, an online radio show called Prime Spark, and I interviewed many women. And when I asked them that question or a similar question, almost 100 percent said. I experience it physically, just like you said. I can't do some things I used to do. I have aches and pains I didn't used to have. But other than that, I feel better than when I was in my 30s and 40s and 50s. I feel more me. I feel freer. Do you experience that? Well, Sarah, you are more you when you're 60 or 70 than when you're 30 or 40. There is more of you to be. 
There's all those years of experience. There's all those things that you've seen. And there are all those questions you have already answered. And it's a wonderful thing to have answered enough question to enter into different places in life and have enough of experience to say and to show yourself, I may not have been here before, but I see what needs to be done here. I may not have been here before. Why don't I be quiet and listen carefully and something will come. All of these things come with age and experience. And so there, I believe there is more you of you there one last thing, what I tell my coaching clients when they reach their 50s and 60s, hooray, you're not young and dumb anymore. <laughs> and we'll just throw that out now. We won't expect you to be young and dumb. That's not an excuse. So all of those are manifestations of what you're talking about. And I think it's a great observation you make. And it's interesting because for many of the women I've spoken to, not, not all of them, but for many of them. One of the reasons, in addition to what you just said that I never thought of before, I'm going to think about that. That's great fun. But in addition to that, so many women have spent so much of their lives devoted to family, spouse, home, extended family. And finally, when they get to their late 50s, 60s, 70s, the kids have left. Now they may have come back, but they've left. <laughs> and um, for the first time, for some women, it's sort of a, it may be scary, but it's sort of a liberating, you know. I can do more of what I want for me now. Um, have you found that in women you've spoken to? Yes, both women who have spent their lives um, caring and growing and developing home and community, as well as women who have also added to that um, executive positions and jobs and, and responsibility. Um, so compare those two things for a minute. Um, I've had a lot of jobs. Uh, I'm not jobs. Most have uh, employed myself, but I've had lots of tasks and lots of jobs. Um, I've also been a father um, and a head of a family. Um, if I were the primary chief executive of running a family and doing all the things a family needs versus a CEO, which I have been for many years and then have been a coach, I will tell you hands down which job is harder. And it has nothing to do with business. And so the involvement in that job, my children, my family, uh, all the health, all the um, trials and tribulations of life in a family that the head, often the woman, uh, the head bears throughout all that time is a big bloody job. And of course, in time, in the course of time of growing up and changing with children, if there are any leaving with just life circumstances where some money is there, all of a sudden that job isn't there anymore. That is a big shift. And in many ways, it's almost a bigger shift or it can be a bigger shift than someone who's had the structure of, let's say, a corporate job or a place in the business world who decides they want to do something else. But in both instances, they arrive at a magic point. 
And the magic point is something that in many ways is offered up in this society, these societies, mostly, in, certainly in the West, um, mainly societies where um, uh, people have choice. And the choice at that place is they get to live more than one life. And that's the moment it's granted, where all of their energy and all of their hopes and all of their dreams can focus someplace else because they aren't needed in that place. And I think that is a magical, albeit frightening, place for people to arrive at, whether they be coming from a home circumstance or whether they be coming at it from a career circumstance. That's an interesting comparison. And again, I never thought of that comparison. And one of the differences that occurs to me is I speak to many women who are in the first situation, uh, coming mm -hmm. out of, of, of the home situation. Mm -hmm. And what they feel is they have no skills. Right. Which probably isn't true of the person coming out of having been head of an organization. Maybe, maybe not. But the, these women, it, it, it infuriates me, not at them, but at society, because okay. they have so many skills of having done what they've done all those years. And so I see that as a difference. Do you, do you see that or am I not seeing the similarity? No, I absolutely do see it. Um, however, that has more to do with how society treats people in that situation than it does in their, with regards to their real capacity to do things. Yeah. So I work in organizational development and trying to get groups of people to do really, really big, complicated things all over the world. And the magic to doing that is every much the same thing as the magic of raising children, of the magic of organizing a home, of the magic of having generations be able to stick together and being responsible for that. It's building relationships it's listening to people. It's having unbelievable curveballs thrown at you by life and you somehow having to have the capacity to pick up and make things work in a family. It's not optional whether things work in a family. They absolutely have to work. Right. It's really, really big pressure. But society calls those, Sarah, soft skills. Right. They aren't soft skills. They're hard earned skills in the world in terms of building community, helping people get along and achieve difficult things. And I think one of the keys, and I'm sure Prime Spark is there to help provide it, one of the keys is to help these women see what they really do have and not by uh, um, praising them to the sky for it, but helping them actually excavate and discover the things that they've done and then help to encourage them to go places where those things are needed because we need women leaders everywhere. Yes, I mean, I, I feel like you and I are preaching to the choir back and forth and back and forth because one of the things I, I consistently say in, with Prime Spark is, and I mean it, that I can't remember a time, at least in my lifetime, when there's been more need of women's wisdom and skills and experience than right now. We 
need to get out um, and do things that need to be done. And coming back to um, just what you mentioned about the soft skills, I have worked in the soft skills for my entire professional career. (laughs) And I, at some point, decided I'm going to call these higher order skills. Oh, good. Because if you think about emotional development and, uh, and the, you know, emotional intelligence, they're higher order. Um, sure. it, it takes a while for people to get them. And some of us never get them. Um, and so I talk about them as higher order skills. And I, I like that better. Well, and there's another thing. This is, this is one of these funny places where the 77-year-old man comes to talk to uh, 50-plus-year-old women about women, and I'm very cautious about doing that, but I will say this. Uh, For 23 years, I ran businesses and had a lot of uh, women in my businesses. They held, in many cases, the primary executive roles simply because of the types of businesses we were in. I am the beneficiary of women leadership, big time, on a hard, scrabbled business environment in computer services in the 70s and 80s, women who led with soft skills, which turn out to be fabulous organizational skills. One of the topics that I see more often coming up finally is the idea of ageism as one of the isms in our society. And I don't know, I know this is a cultural thing. I know in some cultures, Um, elders are revered, but not in ours. And so ageism, certainly in employment, um, but just ageism in society. And I I think it's a topic whose time is coming. It's still on the horizon, but it is going to be paid attention to. Mm -hmm. Do you experience ageism anywhere in your life or not? So... Lucky you, you get another two-pronged answer. Um, I am certain I do experience it. Um, I, um, I, I found in the last maybe 20 years of my, um, my teaching of uh, often younger people in leadership development and coaching, that when they first see the gray hair and the bald head and the, you know, um, that they sort of deflate a little bit. <laughs> they wonder, really, what that's this is who they're sending in to do this for me, you know? <laughs> and I'm not so insensitive that I don't uh, experience that. Um, so the answer is, of course, I do. Um, that's one side of it. The other side of it, though, uh, and this is just for me, but I have friends who were my age, and I certainly know you have the same sort of cadre of people who do this this type of work and are out there or not uh, uh, wilting under the feelings of ageism, um, who um, see this and understand it and say, yes, this is the world. We live in a young, generally energetic male, patriarchal society, as you talked about. And, um, and for example, I also live in Seattle and it rains here a lot. I can talk about the rain and I can talk about the weather and I do think it's important. I don't mean to diss the question, 
But I also think that if you're going to combat ageism, I don't even like the metaphor. If you're going to uh, try and change views on ageism, you change it by being a strong contributor to the well-being of others in our society. And eventually, their opinions about your age become, in some cases, irrelevant. They drop off. And in a bigger way, um, they stop seeing it. Um, I have lots of men and women who are uh, people I've worked with in their 40s and 30s and, and, and some early 50s, younger people. It's really I'm getting it. And I marvel at how well men and women work together in those groups versus how men and women used to work together in my 75-year-old group. Now we get along better. But in other words, what I'm trying to say is this is the mood now. We can change the ageism thing by making contributions. And as I look back, I don't think ageism is as big an issue back here just as the gender difference used to be not that long ago and still is. Men and women of my generation working together versus men and women in their 40s. So I think that it is an interesting issue. But I think for people at our age, the way to address the issue, of course, is to call a spade a spade. They're looking at me thinking, my God, you know, they sent Uncle Remus in here to work with us um, and then to work and do our best and understand that they may feel that way and make whatever mark we can make. I agree with you for all of those of us who have the oomph to do that. I, I, I also am very aware of um, the incredible impact the pandemic had on lots of working people and even more so on older people and yes. even more so on older women workers. Okay. Um, and whether or not those, a lot of those people ever get back into the workforce will be interesting because there, there is a real issue, I believe, of ageism in hiring. Um, and, and I live in Silicon Valley, so that's what, you know, that's what I see. And so maybe it's not the same way everywhere. But I am concerned about that because that really yeah. affects, um, you know, people's lives going forward and what they will have at, if they decide to retire, what they will have at retirement time. Well, I, um, it, those things are a real concern. Uh, and it isn't just ageism, but I hear what you're saying. Uh, it's outrageous to me that we live in a society that doesn't allow for a safety net. It thinks a safety net's for wimps. Um, that isn't what our grandparents thought. And that isn't um, what uh, the, the people of old thought. It's just a relatively new idea. And by the way, I very much appreciate you realizing that Silicon Valley may be a bit of a bubble. Uh, I, I live near another bubble, which is Seattle. But uh, your concern about those people and the fact that they're being discriminated against, I think uh, absolutely people have to draw a line and say, no, we can't do this. And to face into it and make it an issue, this might be a great place for the people in Prime, some of the people in Prime Spark to be politically active and uh, try and help make a difference. We are not a very gentle society. 
we're a society that judges those people. It just, it is one of the most disappointing things about growing old in this country is that attitude uh, that shows up the way it shows up. Right. I agree. I remember what I wanted to say, and I want to say it now, that when you talked about being a 77-year-old man talking to women in their 50s, um, you said that to me when I invited you on the podcast, that you were, you were very reluctant to, to do that. And I said to you, your being able to say that, know that and say that is one of the reasons why I want you to be on the podcast. So I just remembered it. I'm delighted to be here with all of you. <laughs> so, Walt, when you look at your life, you have done so many things, so many fun, outright, amazing things. What dreams have you not yet realized? You know, I don't know if this has happened to you. Um, I, I know it's happened to a few other people I've talked to. It certainly has happened to me. I have dreams, uh, or dreams occur to me. That's what I want to say. Uh, dreams occur to me. I'm writing novels right now, and I can't tell you what a dream it was. It's been a 40-year dream to just be able to do this, so they occur to me. But they aren't as specific as they used to be. What I mean by that is I used to often say, well, you know, this is I'm going to climb Mount Rainier. And, ah, yes, I want to climb Mount Rainier. And so I'd go out and climb Mount Rainier, and it would be an interesting and wonderful experience, and I'd write in my journal and have that. So this is all this real specificity about it. In many ways, I've caught up with all my dreams. I am, along with many other people I know, and I think to some extent you are too, just feel like the luckiest person in the world to live as I live, the way I do, in the place in the world I live in with my family. Uh, it isn't that everything's perfect, but it, I'm just so fortunate to have lived the time I've lived. And so my dreaming happens more as I wander and see, seeking out in many ways, more time to see and feel and touch and photograph and to appreciate and sense and hear than the specific goal-oriented um, thing that I must or want to do or the bucket list. I got rid of my bucket list. It's a very interesting idea, by the way. I got rid of my bucket list about 15 years ago. Um, not because I've done everything in the world. It isn't that at all. I don't need the bucket list. And so I'm very, very involved in enjoying life and looking forward and traveling and writing and living here on the farm. But um, it doesn't come to me the way it used to come to me, which is what I think you're describing. And by the way, what I see in your book when you're talking to the Prime Sparks about how to sort of develop and create the energy around the sorts of things they'd like to do. It just seems in the 20 some odd years of coaching and so on, I've done so much and had so many wonderful experiences that I'm in those experiences. And that's what's leading me to what become the destination or the dreams mm -hmm. that, I, that I achieve. That's interesting to think about that um, a dream is more now uh, a, a way to live, a quality of life, a way yeah. of being in the world 
then one, I want to do this. Two, I want to do this. Three, I want to do this. It's, um, it sounds trite, but it's more a, a being than a doing. I mean, this is the way I want to be in the world. Well, it may be trite, but it sure as hell is nice. Right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. Okay, so I want to know about this novel. Tell us about Finders Keepers. Finders Keepers is a story about a Seattle cop who is wrongly accused of stealing $10 million. And, uh, but the people who accuse him of it can't prove it. And they give him the opportunity to stop being a cop forever and getting an early retirement or going to jail. Surprise, surprise, he takes the retirement. <laughs> he goes to the island of Kauai, uh, Poipu Beach, and becomes a beach bum. <laughs> And uh, while he's a beach bum, the missing $10 million bounces around the world and causes all kinds of chaos in Zurich, Switzerland, in money launderers, um, in, the, in the Grand Caymans, where some of the money's hidden, um, with a, uh, the drug queen of Henderson, Nevada, called Tilly Good. And all of this comes together in a very strange way to a showdown in... Um, uh, in Poipu Beach, uh, when our hero uh, comes out on top, losers keepers. <laughs> uh, so the the good guys win this time. Boy, oh boy! Like always said, when I'm in charge of the world, the good guys and gals always will win. <laughs> okay, so can you tell us anything about losers weepers? Well, Losers Weepers is that uh, our, our hero, his name is Flash. Our hero decides he's going to stay on Kauai. And uh, even though he stays there as a beach bum, he now, by the way, ends up with $10 million. Um, uh, uh, he is at, at the epicenter of a, 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 a war, actually, between... Uh, a very large uh, Chinese company that has a security division um, who um, are sort of like one army and a security service in uh, Beverly Hills, California, which is like another army. And they end up fighting a turf war, believe it or not, on Kauai. And our boy Flash, uh, once again, although it's only half done, but I know he's going to come out of this. Oh, yeah. Uh, uh, oh, yeah. has, a, has a very interesting experience of uh, resolving it and keeping Kauai the pristine, wonderful place that it is today. And in fact, I just got back from Kauai doing some serious prime research on restaurants and other locations which are uh, going to be scenes for things to happen in the future. Oh, what fun. I can't wait. Well, um, my favorite genre of reading are mysteries. I read, mm -hmm. that's pretty much, uh, starting several years ago, and I don't know why, but that's pretty much all I read right now, mm -hmm. other than books I want to read for professional reasons. Mm -hmm. And I am always, I like to find a main character that then is in several books, you know, and I always am happy when there, I know that there's a next book, because that means that the person survived. And so then I can, I can easily read to the end of the book I'm reading because I know it. I know the person lives. 
Well, that's a good, you should read Donna Leon's. Um, oh, I do. Yeah, she's one of my very favorites. Me too. And uh, Louise Penny. And I just have yeah. the brand new Louise Penny book that I haven't opened yet, but it's there <laughs> waiting. So tell me just uh, finally, well, of all the things you've done, what would you most like your legacy to be when you leave this earth, which won't be for a long time yet? Uh, I've been with a lot of people who wanted a legacy. I work with, you work with high achieving people and there's a real honest desire to make a difference in the world and to see that difference manifest itself. And I've watched it and I'm very uh, encouraging of people to do that. I happened, however, to be a, a sort of a, a follower of Urban Yalm. He's a psychotherapist down at Stanford, actually, the founder of um, existential psychotherapy. And he has an idea uh, about uh, leaving your mark called rippling. And what rippling, he says, is, is like taking a pebble and throwing it into a very uh, calm pond. And when you do, the waves go out and slowly make their way to the shoreline. I think my mark or marks aren't necessarily the things I may have accomplished, but what reaches the shoreline. And I can't possibly know what they are, but the fact that I know these things reach the shoreline because I've been on the shoreline for other people who have made their mark and I've experienced the absolute joy and relief to have someone do something that inspires me. That the notion of rippling is the legacy I would like to leave. By that I mean, however people have experienced what I do, whatever it can do for them, the idea of that and the metaphor as well is plenty for me. I love that metaphor. That's a beautiful metaphor. And I know that you have many, many, many ripples and many, many, many shorelines that they've touched. <laughs> so if, well, if somebody wanted to get in touch with you just to further the conversation, how could they do that? You can email me at W Sutton, all one word, W-S-U-T-T-O-N at Mac.com. I answer emails and uh, we'll be glad to uh, receive anything people have to send. Thank you. So that's our time for today. Please join us again. You can find out more about Prime Spark at www.primesparkwomen.com. You can find our podcasts at any of the major podcast outlets. Thank you so much to my guest, Walt Sutton, one of my favorite people in the whole world. Don't forget, you can contact him at wsutton at mac.com. And if you write to him, he will respond. So thank you for being with us today. Take care. Spread love and tolerance. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining us on Prime Spark. 
With each episode, Sarah Hart brings you conversations that inspire, celebrate, and empower women over 55. If you would like to listen to or download other episodes about remarkable, experienced women, go to EWNpodcastnetwork.com. This podcast is also available at Spotify, Apple Podcast, and most other major podcast sites. The second women's revolution is here, and we hope that you use the insights you've gained here to fuel the spark that will ignite your way forward, illuminate your path, and reflect your gifts in the world. Have you ever asked yourself this question, why is it so hard to make a buck? (laughs) I know I have. Hi, I'm Sandra Yancey, founder and CEO of eWomen Network. What I have discovered after going from the brink of bankruptcy to running a multi-million dollar award-winning business is this. You can't build a million dollar dream hanging around minimum wage mindsets. My mission is one million women entrepreneurs generating one million dollars in annual revenue. So here's what I've done. I've created the mother of all entrepreneur success programs that you can access online on your time. It's called Monetize Me Now. It's a seven module online course that is 100% my success formula, covering mindset, mission, management, motivation, marketing, and measure. Come on, take my hand and I'll show you the way to learn to earn flowing revenue for your business. Visit monetizemenow.com for details. Calling all speakers. eWomen Network has speaking engagements all over North America that must be filled. Are you a gifted messenger, author, expert, or successful entrepreneur that can help women entrepreneurs grow their businesses? Our mission is to help one million fulfilled women each achieve $1 million in annual revenue. If you're a speaker that can help women prosper, go to eWomenNetwork.com and sign up as a pro member of our Speakers Network. That's eWomenNetwork.com. Thanks for listening. This is the EWN Podcast Network.